about that, you can see Sarah Beth. Um, and uh, that's any 6th through 12th grade girls are invited to join us for that. And then, well, this is going to be a busy weekend, but then there's a, um, we're going to have a new and prospective member luncheon on um, Sunday, February the 12th. So if you joined the church in 2022, um, or if you are visiting but yet have not yet joined, and you are interested in knowing more about the ministries that we, go on, we have going on, what membership means at our church, any of those things, you are invited to a free lunch on uh, February the 12th, right after morning worship. And uh, we would love to have you come and just kind of talk about what membership at Glenlock Baptist Church means and uh, just all the things that we have going on at the church. Any questions you may have, we'll be there to answer. So um, any of those announcements are also on our website. So if you didn't listen to anything I just said, you can go to our website. And uh, what I said is on there. So, um, But as we get started uh, this morning, Jake Aubrey is going to come up and uh, he's going to read our call to worship. How are y'all this morning? Wonderful. I'm going to be reading from Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on his faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. And now I will pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father God, uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us just to be here and be in your house and just be able to read your word and just be able to apply the, uh, the message to our lives. I just pray that this service go well and that we have a uh, good service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to begin worship with singing Ferris, Lord Jesus.
stand with us again. Are y'all awake this morning? Y'all there? Good, this one's going to wake you up some more too. We're going to sing to God be the glory. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for just allowing us to um, come into this house to worship this morning, God, Lord, and to give you the glory for all you have done, God. Lord, um, may we just be reminded that you are more precious than anything else in our life, God, and that you have um, big, big plans for each one of us, Lord, if we just um, seek your guidance and seek out to hear your voice, God. Lord, may we be... um, just empowered in the way that we pray so that we can have a closer relationship with you, God. We just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Children are going to the back to Children's Church.
Amen. Thank you, Catherine. If the rest of us would turn to John chapter 17, as the children leave, we are grateful for our volunteers and workers there. Um, Bryson said that Barb Kane was here. Is Barb here? She is here. Okay. I'm sorry, Barb. I, I was just confirming what my ears had heard. My eyes are bad. We love you. We're grateful for the progress you're making. We will continue to praise, pray for you. But I praise the Lord because it's, it's truly a miracle that you are here. Amen. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. We're grateful. Um, hey, also, as you turn to John chapter 17, again, we'll continue to pray for Barb. Let's also remember the family of Mr. Jimmy Adams, a uh, longtime Central Hatchie resident. A lot of you from Heard County know him. That's Giles' grandfather. So, Giles, we want you to know we love you and your family, and we'll continue to pray. If you did not know that, the funeral today is at 4 o'clock this afternoon at Studge Funeral Home. So those two prayer requests. Grateful for Barb's improvement, uh, the family of Jimmy Adams, and then also don't forget to continue to pray for the family of Phyllis Carroll. Her funeral is here on Tuesday. Uh, Marty Carroll's mother, long-term member of, of Glenlock and, and also this community. So... Uh, with all that said, let's turn to John chapter 17. I'm going to begin this morning a three-week series through John's chapter that records the prayer of Jesus, the high priestly prayer of Jesus in this chapter. If you've never done a study on it, if you've never looked through this, we're going to spend the next three Sundays hearing the prayer of Jesus to his heavenly Father. It is obviously perfect and powerful and rich and encouraging and I think it will be helpful to us along the way. So let me share with you a brief context here as to why we're in John chapter 17. Now back during youth camp in the summer uh, we were preaching through Jude and some of what Jesus says in John chapter 17 was on my heart and mind back then. And back then, of course, we were going through the Gospel of Luke. So I've kind of had John 17 uh, in my pocket for this transition between Advent and where we were last week and uh, what's coming next, which may be the book of Galatians. But, but I'm sharing too much, okay? Let me say this. When I was in a crucial point in my life trying to discern what God wanted me to do with my life. I'm thinking 1992, uh, 93, somewhere along those lines. My grandfather, who was a minister, had been diagnosed with bladder cancer. He was out of the pulpit for quite a while. And so I had begun to do some preaching in, in our area back then. I was a student in Athens at the University of Georgia. So I was traveling on weekends to preach in place of my grandfather in his pulpit as a 21-year-old 20, something. It was John chapter 17. As I got into the prayer of Jesus and started reading guys like Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a very influential uh, English Welsh pastor in, in, in my life. I, I got into John chapter 17, and my conclusion as a young man in John chapter 17 was, was this. And this was God working through this chapter. This is real. 
This is powerful. Jesus truly is the Son of God. This is good news. And God used John chapter 17 at that moment in my life to really clarify for me the decisions I needed to make along the way that have brought me to this point. So I want to give you a little life context for John chapter 17 as I gave you a little current context on John chapter 17. So, so let's dive right in. Now last week, we pr- we've entered a new year and we were talking about what, how do we have good days? Were you here last week, seven days ago? How do we love life and experience good days? And we were in 1 Peter chapter 3 and Peter clearly told us, look, he learned from Jesus that you must stay humble and you must listen up and guard your heart and be sympathetic and kind and loving. So on Sunday morning between 10.30 and 11.30, those concepts of love and grace and oneness and fellowship, we grasp those, but then actually putting that into practice during the week at times can be, can be a test. I mean, it's very difficult if you had asked me at the end of the week, well, how did you do with being sympathetic and humble and kind, you know? I felt like the young guy whose coach told him, hey, he grabbed him, and he's putting him in the game, and he said, you go out there and you get mean and you get aggressive. And the guy looked up at his coach and he says, what number is he? <laughs> Or if I tell all of us to live with humility and sympathy and love, for some of us, I might as well say, let's everybody run to 27 and back, okay? How do we do that? Where do we get the help that we need to live the good days that we talked about last week in 1 Peter 3? In John chapter 17, we have the help we need in... The person of Jesus, and especially in what he prays. That's a very lengthy introduction. I'm only going to read the first eight verses, then the following Sundays we're going to work through the rest of the verses. So in John 14 through 16, some of the most cherished and powerful words from Jesus in that long teaching passage. Then like I do at the conclusion of a sermon, I say, let us pray. He teaches some of the most powerful, important truths in all the world, in all of discipleship. And then he does this. He closes in a prayer, longest recorded prayer of Christ. John 17, 1. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee, even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him he may give eternal life. He may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I glorified thee on the earth having accomplished the work, having accomplished the work 
which thou hast given me to do. And now, this is his prayer, glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world began, before the world was. So he's praying, restore the glory that we enjoyed in eternity past before I ever came to earth. That's verse 5. Verse 6, I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Now, they have come to know that everything thou hast given me is from thee. For the words which thou gavest me, I have given to them, and they received them, and they truly understood that I came forth from thee, and they believed that thou didst send me. That concludes verse 8. And one of the things that you're sitting there thinking is, man, there's a lot of thee and thou's in that prayer. And there is. (laughs) I guess it's my job, since I'm behind this pulpit, to... uh, to help us understand what all the these and the thous are really trying to say to us uh, this morning. Father, for that we need prayer. We thank you for just the reading of the word, the, the, just the sacredness of this passage because we are overhearing a prayer from the Son to the Father And Jesus is intentionally inviting us to listen in to this sacred, intimate communion. So we are on sacred ground. Uh, I pray that I and we would handle this appropriately, reverently, in humility, receiving it for what it is, not only the Word of God, but the prayer of God. Uh, So help us to sort through and find in this, the grace and the help we need to be obedient to you and to glorify you with our lives. For that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, through the these and the thous, I've got this morning five, yes, five essential truths that are in verses 1 through 8 that serve for us as a framework for how to live our lives. Now, I want to point out that oftentimes, you know me, I love to use cute little alliterations and at times use things that help me communicate to you and you listen to me and us move through this and and, and, and grasp more of of who God is. But today, every statement I'm going to make, my five points are are intentionally God-centered. In other words, every statement is going to start with God and who He is because I really believe that that's what this passage of Scripture is is trying to move us to realize is that we are here this morning and we are here on this earth and we are here for the hours and days that we have primarily and ultimately for God's glory. God has to continually move stubborn, bullheaded people like me and you from thinking that the world revolves around us to realizing that the world actually revolves around God. So my first statement this morning, and let me move into that, 
And you're thinking, since there are five, you better get going. Number one, God's glory is the reason every moment and everything exists. That is the ultimate message of the Bible, and it is the ultimate reason that there is anything rather than nothing. Why is there something rather than nothing? It's because God has breathed it all into existence to share and to promote and to exalt His name and His glory. And, and, and the gist of this is in verse 1. Now, I talked about having days, but we know that days are really made up. Man, there are 24 hours in a day. And my day, depending on when you talk to me, can be an absolute roller coaster of emotions and thoughts and feelings and choices. Then you get down to the moments within the hours. This is the most crucial hour that has ever existed. And Jesus prays for his hour, which in John's gospel, it is building up to this. Jesus has already spoken about this hour seven times. And here at number eight, as the cross is near and the resurrection is near and suffering and difficulty and temptation is near for the disciples and, and, and for Christ, he says in his prayer, look, lifting up to his, his help, he becomes our helper. And he says the hour has come. Glorify thy son so that the son may glorify thee. So Jesus' primary concern, his passion was always through every hour and every moment, especially this climactic hour, was to exalt and praise and magnify and glorify the Heavenly Father. And if we will study our Bibles and if we will watch Jesus, we too will realize that in Him we live and move and have our being and, and, and the whole world is full of His glory. So you and I are created and made and saved so that we will magnify, lift high and exalt and glorify God as Jesus is praying for Himself in this particular prayer, from the very beginning, this hour will reveal clearly God's glory. His love, His holiness, His providence, His goodness, His faithfulness. My primary problem and your primary problem is that God does not get from us the glory and worship that is due Him. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I referred to earlier in the message, said this about godliness. He said, ungodliness is a refusal in any shape or form to live entirely to God's glory and to praise His holy name. Ungodliness is a refusal in any shape or form to live entirely to God's glory and to the praise of His holy name. Our, our fallenness 
renders us desiring our own glory and finding glory in things apart from God. So Jesus comes down to restore to us the desire and capacity to worship and honor and glorify God with our lives. You and I are not glorious. Like the Bible tells us, we're like the flower that fades. Our glory is very temporal. It's very short. It's tainted. It's broken. And so because of that, we need a complete shift from the fallen, short, false glories that all of us are seeking, having been kicked out of Eden. God comes down in Christ, and Jesus reveals to us not only the Father's glory, but how to live to the Father's glory. And we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But Jesus came to show us and to restore us to glory. Now bear with me just a second in dealing with my alma mater, alma mater Georgia. <laughs> hey, one of the things that we've always sung is glory, glory to old Georgia. It's literally the theme song. Glory, glory to old Georgia. But I'll be honest with you. There have been seasons and years when Georgia had what? No glory. <laughs> Yet we kept on singing. Glory, glory to old Georgia. If you want to know how to define glory, as a Bulldog fan this week, how did it feel to sing that? Man, they're finally number one. <laughs> Finally, our feelings and our victory and all that can tie together and match. And yeah, Kirby's come back home and he has restored the glory, right? Hey, I only use that example because it's, it's relatable to me and it's relatable to most of us. But we know that on this earth, what goes up is going to come back down. <laughs> and there will be a time when we are not, yet again, so glorious. God came down in Christ so that those of us who try to steal glory, which is all of us, and those of us who want to experience glory, which is all of us, and those who want to fulfill our God-given purpose, which is ultimately to glorify Him, can finally be forgiven and put into the right mind and the right heart and the right state by which we do glorify God with our lives. So let me cut to the chase because this is just number one. God's glory is the reason every moment and everything exists. Now that gives us a God-sized meaningful purpose for every single thing that happens in my life. And I know that's intense and I know that's heavy. That's why I'm so grateful for Jesus because Jesus actually had the capacity to understand and live for the glory of God at all times in every moment. And you and I fall so far short of that. We should be so grateful that Jesus glorified God for us and we get to be invited into that glory. i got to move on to number two. Where is number two? Man, I'm so unglorious even in something like this. 
The second statement I want to give us is that God grants power and authority so that His grace and glory can be known and shared. God gives power and authority or grants power and authority for His grace and glory to be known and shared. Why does God give us gifts? Why does God give us talents? Why does God give us choices and purposes and callings and things to do? Why does God give us leadership and influence? Well, for that question, ask, why does God give us anything? So that His glory and grace can be known and shared. Look at what Jesus prays. Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify Thee. Even as Thou gavest Him authority over all mankind, that to all whom Thou hast given Him, He may give eternal life. Again, that's a theological mouthful. But it is saying that the Father gave Jesus, His Son, all authority in order to accomplish grace, salvation, and glory for the Father and for us. It's, it's all grace. How did Jesus use His power and authority? Over all mankind. What did he do with it? And he left glory above, but he still had all authority granted to him by the Father. What did he do with his life? Oh, he brought down grace and glory. He shows us the proper use of authority and power and leadership and gifts. And anything that God gives us is to continue to spread the grace and the glory that comes from God. And by nature, we're not like that. It's been said that everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to wash the dishes. And Jesus comes down and he takes a towel. He serves and he gives and he heals and he loves and he washes feet. He uses his power and authority to be gracious and to share the glory that God has in Himself with those of us who fall short and who needs it. Notice this wonderful exchange that looks... Again, this is difficult for us to wrap our minds around. God gave Him authority over all mankind that to all whom Thou hast given Me, He may give eternal life. Uh, that implies that God the Father gives us to God the Son as a gracious gift of, of intimacy and love and fellowship. and We can't wrap our minds around that. But one thing I think it does mean is that we really belong. And all of us are looking to belong to be a part of something a lot bigger than ourselves, here it is. That God came down with all authority and all power, but He used that to serve and to give and to love and to put people together in a powerful, loving, unified way. That's, that's the church. 
And we can't climb up to this. This had to come down to us from the outside in God. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. He will give grace and glory. He is a generous, loving, sacrificial God. This humbles us and should make us grateful and willing to serve and willing to give. I don't know why, but... In one of the, 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 I've got stuff written all throughout my Bible from all different sources and quotes. I mean, it's just a complete mess. If you were to look at this, you would say, this guy's insane. But one of my favorite quotes, I guess when I was younger, I was listening to the inauguration of George Bush in 1989. And I thought of this quote as I worked through this point. He says, and he was talking about the presidency. He was talking about leadership. He was talking about being one of the most powerful people on the planet. And this is what he says. He says, we are given power and giftedness not to advance our own purposes, nor to make a great show in the world, nor a name. There is but one use of power, and it is to serve people. And regardless of what you think of any of our presidents, that statement is the truth. That statement is the ideal. And all of us fall short of that except Jesus. Here is the one who had ultimate power. He could have called at any time 10,000 angels. The one who is most glorious, most dominant, Lord of lords and King of kings. When he comes down, he comes down to give grace and glory. The grace and glory he shares with the Father, he's given to us. And what he's showing us is how to use our talents, time, resources, and the moments and hours that we have. I must move on. Does God grant you power and authority? Absolutely. What's it for? To share his grace. To share his glory. Paul said, whether I live or die. Whether I live or die. May Christ be exalted in my body by life or death. That's, that's what we're talking about. Number three, God alone, God alone is the source of the eternal life that we need and seek. God alone is the source of eternal life that we need and that we seek. We are all dead. We're dead in our sins and transgressions. We are dead apart from God and apart from Christ. Our sins render us under a curse, fallen, limited, and dead. Uh, we're practically walking around like zombies in the world if we do not have the life of God and eternal life living in us. Uh, look at what he says in verse 3. This is one of the most important verses in the whole prayer. How would you define eternal life? One day I'll get to heaven, and then I'll have eternal life? Well, partly so. That indeed is true. But look at verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is having a relationship with God the Father and God the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what you and I need is life. Eternal life. 
Because we enter into this world dead and hungry and thirsty for life, God has created us with eternity in our hearts, and nothing will satisfy us. No matter what we experience, no matter what we achieve, no matter how many times we do a certain thing, the one thing you and I hunger for and are made for more than anything else, the only thing that can satisfy a dead soul is eternal life, the life of God coming into us. And that's what Jesus is praying for here, that they would know you, God, and your Son whom you've sent. That's eternal life. So it's not something I'm waiting to happen at the end of my days. Eternal life is something that I can enjoy and experience even now along the way. And that is a game changer. That is a life changer to have in you and in your soul, out of your innermost being, Jesus says, flowing rivers of, of, of life, of living water. One of the things that Bennett and I did, and I've already talked about it some probably, back in 2022, you remember that year? Man, we went up to Charlotte and rode Fury 325, one of the most, the highest, fastest, highest ranked coasters in all the country. We took a weekend. I got back on Sunday morning. I was still reeling from this. Listen, there was a guy in the park on Friday evening that had already written, ridden Fury 325 over 2,000 times in his life. One of these coaster enthusiasts. Am I right, Bennett? Was it 2,000? Is he still over there, Howard? Did he give me the thumbs up? And I thought to myself, that guy's crazy. Benny can tell you, about all I could do it was about eight times. And I had enough. Now, Benny had not quite had enough. But as I was working through the message this week, and I thought about my own life, that guy may have had the 2,000 times on Fury 325. But, you know, think about yourself. (laughs) How many sermons do you think you need to preach? Huh? How many visits do you think you need to make? What's going to ultimately satisfy? How much money, more money do you think you need? How many titles would Georgia have to win for you to finally say, okay, that's enough, we can lose to Alabama now? <laughs> and I'll be honest, I don't think I'll ever reach that point in this life. And this is going to be a bridge to the fourth point. And, and, and this is what we need. See, you and I are working, and we are called to work. Man, we are called to work. It, it is biblical. The one who doesn't work, the Bible says, doesn't need to eat. But I'm going to give you number four to tie it in with number three. God has already completed the work most needed by, for humanity. God has already completed the work most needed by humanity. See, we're on this treadmill. How many sermons do I need to preach? How many roller coasters can I ride? How many days do I need to check in? What's going to happen to me when I become totally incapacitated? The other part of this is that I have no righteousness. I have no deeds. I have nothing that I do or anything that I ever accomplished that's ever really completed or ever really perfect. 
Here's such a great good news in this particular prayer that Jesus said as he spoke to the Father, I have already accomplished the work which thou gavest me to do. The three best words in life from the cross are, It is finished. It's done. God has already done the work that we need. Jesus said, I've already accomplished it. Well, how could he talk about it in the past tense? And he hasn't died on the cross yet. He hasn't risen from the dead yet. Hey, it's a done deal because God speaks the end from the beginning. And he speaks it in the past tense because for all practical and theological purposes, it is finished. It's done. That's good news to those of us who are here and we're gone. And as I said, our work can be so unfulfilling. It can be so frustrating. And we work and we work and we work. What do we present to God? We have nothing but dirty laundry. But Jesus' work is sufficient and perfect and satisfying. His works were finished from before the foundation of the world. That is such good news that frees a heart like Yours and mine. God has already completed the work we most need. Through the perfect life of Jesus, the sufficient death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the glorification of Jesus. Paul talks to the Colossians and he says, You are already raised up with Jesus. You're already there. So live as if you're there. Because he's already done the work that's needed. And God answered this prayer. And see, He answered this prayer for you and for me. Because of His great love for us, Christ came and prepared Himself and His followers through this prayer to finish the work that God gave Him to do to fulfill all righteousness and all holiness and to become a sacrifice of atonement for you and for me. There is much more that we could work out, but I'll close with number five, if you are still with me. Number five, God has revealed himself most clearly through Jesus, his only begotten son. God has revealed himself most clearly through Jesus, his only begotten son. Who is God? What is God like? How does he think? How does he act? How, what are his, all of this is, is seen in Christ. If Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, it'll be enough if we see the Father. Jesus said, clearly, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, back in chapter 14 of John. But listen to his prayer. Verse 6. I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. So one of the purposes of Christ was to reveal the character of God to those who would believe in Him. What do we learn about the character of God as we see Jesus reveal it? We learn that God is holy. We learn that God is loving. We learn that God is faithful. We learn that God is powerful and miraculous. All of God's attributes were glorified and known in Jesus. Thine they were. Thou gavest him to me. They've kept thy word. And I'm thinking, wait a second. They've kept the word. 
These guys haven't been perfectly obedient the whole time. They don't even grasp it yet. Right after this prayer, Peter's going to whip out his sword and try to cut off an ear. What does this mean, they kept the word? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that they obeyed perfectly every instruction of Jesus along the way to a perfect T. No, it can't mean that. It didn't mean that for them, and it doesn't mean that for us, thankfully. What it means is they kept the word that, that, that they must believe in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, in order to be saved. And Jesus clarifies. He says in verse 7, they know, hey, they don't know everything, and they're not going to know everything, but they know that everything that you gave me is from thee. And the words which I gave to them, I've get, which you gave to me, I gave to them. They received them. They tr- here it is in verse 8. Here's, here's where we're going to land. Verse 8. They truly understood that I came forth from thee, and they believed that thou didst send me. That is the essential word that must be believed, is that Jesus truly is from God. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. It's the one question that confronted them along the way. And it's the one question that confronts us along the way. Who is Jesus? You get that one right. Even though you are imperfect and you don't have total understanding. And you're still a work in, You get that question right. You're in. You're in. You belong. The, the process is taking shape. And God is going to complete the work. Because he completed the work with Jesus, he's going to complete the work with you. Well, how is this relevant? I'll close with a brief illustration. Over Christmas break, I'm going through Publix in Carrollton. I got whatever $30 worth of stuff I always get because I don't like to buy in bulk. (laughs) Ask my family. You only got two things? (laughs) Yeah, two things. I got the two things, coffee and coffee mate. Those are the two things we needed. It's busy and it's packed. And, you know, you go through the lanes that they've got like cattle and you look to your right and you look to your left. There's Coca-Colas and there's candy and there's all these magazines. And I, I start to take notice of the magazines and, you know, tell myself you're not buying any of this stuff. But as I look at the magazines, I just notice the variety. And there's Martha Stewart on cover of Southern Living. There's Donald Trump on the front of the globe, whatever that is. Then down here on the bottom right is Def Leppard, the rock group from the 80s. And there's the Gaines lady who redoes the houses, whatever her name is. She's on one of those. But then right there at eye level to my left on the cover is Jesus. A picture of Jesus. You know, they sell those at Christmas time. You got all these religious people coming through. You know, one of those Time magazine special editions like they have come out periodically. And we don't really know what Jesus liked. I'm not sure he looked like the cover of this magazine. But the question underneath the picture was right on. And all it said was, who do you say I am? And I thought, wow. That's the question of all questions, isn't it? 
And as we think about how to live our lives and as we think about Jesus' praise and how Jesus prepares his disciples, boy, they were confronted with a choice. And we're confronted daily with a choice. I heard a pastor say one time that you ought to think of life like this, 10, 10, 10. Let's go back to football. You need 10 yards for a first down. And in your moment by moment and hour by hour, we're faced with responses and choices just coming in all the time. And, and, and he put it like this. This choice you're about to make, this thing you're about to do, what you're about to say, I want you to think in 10 minutes, 10 minutes, what's going to be the effect of that choice, that word, in that moment? What about 10 months? <laughs> What's going to be the effect of the consequences of those choices in 10 months? And then what about 10 years? And your thoughts, your choices, what's going to be the effect? What's going to be the result in 10 years? And this pastor was saying, think, 10, 10, 10. I got, I got 10 minutes, I got 10 months, and I got 10 years. But then I was talking about with this with somebody, and they said, well, what about 10,000 years? I'm like, whoa. That's really advanced planning and thinking. But this question still relates. In 10,000 years, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered real quickly, same guy that pulls out his sword. He said, Lord, we believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus followed that up by saying, Peter, you're right. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Now you do this. You deny yourself daily and take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself daily and take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself daily and take up your cross and follow me. God has revealed himself most clearly through Jesus, his only son. You, you get that one right. It will affect your moments and your hours and your days. Not just for 10 minutes. Not just for 10 months. Not just for 10 years. But the, the, the song says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've, we've no less days to do what? To sing his praise than when we first begun. This invitation which God has gotten completely ready is open to come. Bring your sin, bring your, your, your ungloriousness, your, your guilt, your shame, your hunger, your thirst. To enter into grace and glory, all we have to do is, is come. He's, he's already done the work. He's already done the work. He's accomplished the work. We enter into it by faith and by repentance and by trust. Father, thank you for this prayer. Thank you for our time studying this prayer and preaching this prayer. There's so much more here, but it's time to close. And let's all examine ourselves. You defined eternal life and you defined discipleship and belonging into the kingdom with, with, with this one choice. Who do we say Jesus is?
This prayer said that those who belong to God are those who know that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus truly is the Son of God. Only the Son of God could pray this kind of prayer. May we, as the children of God, love this, believe this, and apply this to our lives every day and thus find the way to fulfill our calling to serve and glorify you in all moments with all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Glorify thy name. You come as we sing. to be all together again this morning. We've got a lot of folks out, a lot of folks sick, but it's wonderful to have you here, and it's been a blessing for me to be here. Hey, as we close, don't forget on your way out, the whole month of January, we're still taking the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for missions, okay? So Jeff has a plate, and there's somebody else. I think that may be Giles back there who has a plate. Catherine, tonight, of course, we've got choir practice in our evening discipleship groups. We'll meet uh, at 6 after choir at 5. Is there anything else? Okay. Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all 
You have a great week.